2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Welcome to LiveWire. Sorry about this weird voice. Um... Here's the thing. I got laryngitis a couple days ago, and I have been trying to stay on vocal rest. So we are about to do the show. I am backstage at the Aladdin Theater in Portland, and our theme is Without a Net, which will become very true because I am about to step out on that stage and see if my voice will actually, well, work for the next hour or so. We do have a great show for you, by the way. We have Alex Honnold here. He is an amazing solo free climber, meaning he climbs up incredibly high cliffs with no ropes, and uh, well, he's lived to tell about it. We've also got David Wayne, director of a million things, including Wet Hot American Summer, and we've got music from Taco Cat. It all starts if my voice holds out right after this.
0: From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of- live audience at the Aladdin Theater in Portland, Oregon, it's LiveWire, with record-breaking free climber Alex Honnold, actor and director David Wayne, and music from Seattle's Taco Cat, and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of LiveWire, danger is in his middle name, that would be Norbert, Luke Furman! Thank you, Portland. My name is Luke Burbank. I'm your host. Our theme this hour is without a net, which is exactly what's happening right now.
2: Because I lost my voice a couple of days ago, and for the last 24 hours, I have been on total vocal rest
0: I have not tried to use my real speaking voice at all. Up to this very minute, I don't actually know what it's going to sound like. This is what it sounded like yesterday when I left a message for our executive producer.
3: Hello, no one is
2: available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. Hello, Robin. (laughs) It's your radio host, Luke Um, This is what my voice sounds like right now. And uh, it's like 10 o'clock on Friday, and, um, and it may be worth having some sort of a plan in your back pocket for how we might do this if my voice is not cooperating. Um, I'm also going to kind of go on like a vocal rest today and tomorrow to try to, you know, preserve as much of my voice as possible. Uh, okay,
0: thanks, Matt. This apparently is the backup plan. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Without a net.
2: let's try this together. <clears throat> hey there, Portland. Whoa. Oh, not bad. There is no one more relieved in this room than our executive producer, Robin Tenenbaum, who was losing her crap <laughs> before the show. All right, this is actually, <clears throat> this is better than I thought it would be. I, I'm, not, I'm not kidding you. I For the last 24 hours have been totally silent. That's actually not true. On the plane, I had to use my voice to lie to the flight attendant to say my phone was in airplane mode when it actually wasn't because I was watching a YouTube video about a hamster eating a carrot and I needed to see how that ended um, during takeoff. Uh, spoiler alert, it ended adorably. Very adorably. Um, This has been a really weird 24 hours for me. Um, Because what I have learned is that I do not possess the self-confidence to be the strong silent type. (laughs) Like, you know that kind of brooding, mysterious, quiet stranger in the corner with a sexy secret? It turns out I am not that guy. I am... The guy sitting next to you at Tony Romano's macaroni grill at the airport who needs to tell you every thought that comes into his head. (laughs) And not being able to do that was killing me. I am really relieved, actually, that this worked. And by this, I mean the whiskey. Um, It is a funny thing. If you get a sore throat or you lose your voice, everyone turns into the bartender from The Shining. Have you tried whiskey? Oh, I just—I have some whiskey. That fix. I do a couple of shots of whiskey. It's like, it's 8 a.m. and this is a Les Schwab, sir. <laughs> just simmer the whole thing down. That being said, I do have my safety kit up here um, of my uh, electric tea kettle that will probably turn on in the middle of the show. You might hear that through the microphone. Uh, tea of uh, many varieties and my whiskey, which is. Medically necessary, this show for once, should we try to give this a shot, you guys? ready to do this without a net? All right um, speaking of without a net, uh, we do have to do a little housekeeping here at the top of the show. It involves. Our announcer, Mr. Jason Rouse. Jason, um, you have something to say, right?
0: Yeah, this will just take a moment, everybody. There was a little confusion at the office this week.
2: Uh, No, there was not.
0: Okay, there was a little confusion in one part of the office. Yeah, the part of the office that is you. Technically, look, um, I came in and I said, what what are we doing for the show? And they said, the show's without a net. And I was like, holy crap, we're firing a net from accounting? (laughs) Who's going to write our checks? I mean, you know, she's been with us for, like, years, right? And I had no clue that it was referring to a metaphorical net. And there's really no way for me to know I'm a very literal thinker. Are you? I mean, pretty much. And so, like, all week I felt bad because I'm walking around and Annette is smiling. She doesn't know what's coming because I figured they're going to wait till Friday to do it. So, like, all week I'm, like, being super nice and I'm buying her lunch and I'm, like, complimenting her on her sweaters. And, like, I even arranged for a nice big farewell cake uh, for Friday.
2: Yeah, that was... Um, that's when things kind of got bad, huh, Jason?
0: Yeah, Luca got really terrible. The cake was not a hit with anybody. <laughs> Least of all Annette.
2: Yeah, I, I wouldn't think so.
0: So, yeah. I mean, so, Annette, I just want to say to you, I'm sorry. I wish you were here. I understand why you're not. You're still pretty, really upset. And and I'm just really sorry. And, you know, I just want to say to all of you, Annette is a great person. She always, you know, she kept a little or keeps this little jar yeah. of candy on her desk and you can have it and even though she keeps a lot of cats, she never makes you talk about them. And <laughs> and you know she always had like the biggest smile on her face. You know, un- until Friday, so.
2: Yeah. All right, Jason, please, sorry. Uh, time to leave the stage. Thank you. Right, sorry, uh, thanks everybody. Jason House's apology to Annette. Glad we got that straightened out. All right. Speaking of doing things without a net, our first guest this week is basically the reigning champ of that. Alex Honnold is a free solo climber. That means no ropes, no harnesses on some of the world's steepest cliffs. He's broken many speed climbing records and performed the only known solo climb of the Yosemite Triple Crown, which sounds incredibly dangerous. His new book, is alone on the wall. Please welcome Alex Honnold to Live Wire. Hello. Hey Alex, welcome to the show.
4: Thanks for having me.
2: I'm sorry the stools are a little high here. I hope that doesn't make you nervous or anything.
4: <laughs> awesome. I see what you did there Yeah, right Because <laughs> you climb up really high yeah. <laughs> That was cool um,
2: Okay, for people that uh, don't really know Can you explain how free solo climbing works?
4: Uh, so free soloing is just climbing with your hands and your feet And uh, no rope, no partner, no protection um, Yeah, so it's basically just rock climbing But very simple
3: yeah.
2: But also very in- for you, in- incredibly high In places where a lot of other people probably wouldn't do that
4: Yeah, yeah, sometimes For sure I was uh,
2: looking at your book, and it said, whenever Alex speaks in public, he's asked the same two questions. Aren't you afraid you're going to die, and why do you do this? So let's just get those out of the way right at the
4: top. (laughs) Aren't you afraid you're going to die, and why do you do this? I'm I'm glad you're so creative. Yeah. That's that's really... uh, That's good. Um, Okay, do I think I'm going to die? Short answer, no, which is why I'm doing it. Um, Why do I do it? Um, That's more complicated. But, uh, you know, just... I don't know the aesthetics of it, the beauty of it, the, the freedom of movement, the, I mean, the free soling for me is a very small percentage of my overall climbing. So it's sort of like, that's the peak experience where, you know, typically I'm climbing with a partner and a rope and just having an amazing experience in the mountains. Um, you know, the free soling is just sort of something a little bit more,
2: but that's certainly something that you're known for because it is, it's pretty unique. The, the, the heights that you've taken it to, I guess.
4: Yeah, I suppose so, but um, or it's just a testament to the fact that I'm not that good a climber with a rope on. You know, yeah.
2: so I'm just. I mean, that's how I've always climbing. considered your career a real failure in the rope climbing department.
4: Well, you know, you could look at it that way. Yeah. yeah.
2: I think yeah. I don't have creative questions.
4: Yeah. <laughs> um, how old are you?
2: I'm 30. When did you realize that you had a special ability for climbing?
4: Honestly, I don't really think I have a special ability for climbing. I mean, I think if anything, I just have. A, an especially deep motivation for climbing. And so I've done a ton of climbing in my life and I've consistently tried to push myself as a climber and, and get, you know, better at it. But, um, I mean, I was never like a gifted climber. It's just that I've put in a ton of effort. But.
2: What, like you say muscle groups, what are the muscle groups that you have really developed? Um,
4: well, since you ask, you um, did. my, uh, and this ain't in the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it basically comes down to your your forearms, being able to hold on, like having strong fingers. I mean, people say that climbing should be all in your legs and all technique. You know, your legs are driving you upward. But as you get to sort of like an elite level of climbing, it becomes more about like how small of a hold you can hold on to, how strong your fingers are.
2: Um, All right. Hold that thought, which won't be hard for you with those massive forearms. Uh, we got to take a quick break. This is Live Wire Radio from Portland, Oregon. We'll be back in a moment with Alex Honnold. This podcast is brought to you by Ergo Depot, makers of the Jarvis Standing Desk. And now, if you want a smaller footprint, but you still want the stability of a desk with some real substance, there's the Jarvis Jr., just as strong as its dad. But it takes up almost half the space, and it's adjustable at the touch of a button. So you can stand when you're feeling like the go-getter you are, and sit when you dang well please because you're an adult and you can make your own choices. The Jarvis Jr. allowing the floor space challenged to stand prouder. Get more information at ergodepo.com. Hey, welcome back to LiveWire Radio, coming to you from the Aladdin Theater in Portland, Oregon. We have Alex Honnold here, climber extraordinaire. He is the author of the book Alone on the Wall. Uh, known far and wide as a, a solo climber, a free climber, although you were saying earlier that that's just one of the things you do. Another thing I read in a magazine article you were ready to do was you were meeting your friend Tommy Caldwell, who's an amazing climber, In his own right, he was one of the guys that climbed that Don Wall. Yep. Will you explain to folks who don't know why that was such an incredible accomplishment first?
4: Basically, it's like the physically hardest piece of climbing that anybody has ever done on on a wall like that. I mean, they lived on the wall for 19 days to climb what's essentially a vertical piece of glass. It's like crazy smooth, very, very hard. I mean, Tommy spent seven years training for it. It's like pretty hard.
2: So you're buddies with this guy, and you're going to go meet him at the top. And you were going to take a different, you know, simpler route and just kind of congratulate him. But I read in this article that the plan was that you were going to bring his baby with you. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, listeners might be surprised to hear that that idea was shut down.
4: Actually... Honestly, the idea wasn't really shut down. The idea was shut down because the baby was teething and the grandparents weren't going to go to the top, and so it made more sense for the baby to stay in the meadow with the grandparents rather than go up top. But um, honestly, it's not, it's not that hard to go up the side of El Cap and hike to the top. So, I mean, carrying a 20-pound baby to the top of it, I mean, you know, it's like a light backpack on a hike.
2: But, I mean, if... <laughs> I mean, if they're teething, it's a totally different story. Yeah, yeah totally you don't different. You don't mess with that.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, okay, so Tommy loves his family, obviously. And, uh, you know, months before, I told his wife that, you know, if they wanted to have the full family reunion on top, I would do, you know, basically I would do whatever they needed to help. facilitate the family reunion type thing? And so had she asked me to carry their child, I totally would have. But then it didn't make sense because he was teething, so I didn't.
2: (laughs) I see. So that was going to be the only way for the whole family to be there because there was no other access to that spot, basically. Yeah,
4: to to get to the top of El Cap, I mean, basically, there are two ways to get up there and I was willing to carry the baby up either of them. One is like a long walk. One of them's a short walk with a little bit of ascending on ropes. But either way, is totally safe, totally casual. You know, it takes like an hour or two. Um, I mean, like, Tommy didn't think it's anything. The mother didn't think it's anything. Um, But, you know, the baby's teething. So what do you do? Leave leave it at (laughs) home. So
2: you say totally safe. I mean, uh, that would indicate that you feel like something like that is because of the ropes and because of how solid the rigging is. Again, I don't mm-hmm. know all the terminology, yeah. but do you feel like there are things like that that you can say are, are completely safe, essentially?
4: Yeah, something that I'd be willing to do day in, day out, every day for the rest of my life without you know, no second thought, like totally safe, like walking down the sidewalk. Some of the photos
2: in the book, by the way, the book is Alone on the Wall, amazing photos and you're, I mean, I had seen uh, videos of you online and, and, uh, and read about you before this. And and one of the things that always struck me was the just enormity of these walls that you climb and you're just this little figure and you don't have anything protecting you. What is dangerous for you up there? Like what might get you besides the ground?
4: Well, the obvious things, yeah, yeah, the ground, thanks. Um, the, The obvious thing would be if I just made a mistake and fell off. But so animals coming out of the rock or, you know, occasionally, like insects and things. That's a Um, thing? Yeah, yeah, or getting stung by a bee or just like random, random freak things like that. Birds coming out of cracks, that happens quite a bit. You know, anytime you do anything, there's like a freakishly small chance that something terrible could happen. Like every time you go out on the road, there's a chance you could just get T-boned by by a big rig and, you know, obliterated. Um, You know, that kind of chance you just set aside is like that's just the cost of doing business. Um... You know, and then.
2: So you feel like those are sort of like lightning strike, act of God type of events. But as far as the things you can control, you feel like you can control enough of those things that you can make it relatively safe
4: for you? Yeah, for sure. By practice and through preparation, training, you know. Basically, I mean, I climb the roots beforehand with a rope, so I know how I'm going to feel while I'm doing it. And so then uh, I have a pretty good sense of, of how it's going to go.
2: Uh, what do you do at home for fun? Like, what is. Yeah.
4: What is your life like just when you're not climbing stuff? It's pretty much only climbing stuff. I mean, I don't really have... I live in a car, and I travel, and I climb all the time.
2: Do you have any desire? I mean, you're obviously quite incredible at this, and, and, um, and it's something that you do for a living and for fun. But, like, do you have a desire at some point in your life to live in a regular structure and not be so close to death so much of the time? <laughs> I don't ask that sarcastically, I mean, I'm I'm genuinely... No, yeah,
4: no, genuinely, I would like to live in a home at some point. I'd like to live in something where I can stand up, because living in the van is quite cramped. But for now, it just makes sense to travel and climb all the time while I I have the opportunity.
2: Um, Alex Honnold, ladies and gentlemen. The book is Alone on the Wall. All right. Alex Honnold is here. Um, he has free solo climbed all over the world. And as you heard, you can read about it in the new book. Um, one of our writers though was thinking, Alex, that maybe you should have a movie made about your experiences. So here to pitch, Alex, please welcome Bree Pruitt.
1: Thanks, Luke. So there are a lot of amazing movies about climbing like Cliffhanger and Into the Void and 127 Hours. All movies about something going terribly wrong, but Alex is this great climber. So I had to kind of amp up the drama in other ways. You'll see, okay, here's the first one. So Alec wakes up, he goes climbing, stops at the Dairy Queen, eats a crazy amount of ice cream to offset, you know, his caloric output. (laughs) Then right when you think he's out of the woods, he gets this intense ice cream headache. (laughs) This winter you'll never escape parfait summit 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 summit
2: Summit. has that ever happened to you alex uh
4: no 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 i don't
2: think that's a very dramatic climbing story brie okay
4: just
1: the next one is is more dramatic lots of drama okay so alex goes climbing and he's listening to music i was thinking we could get beyonce to be involved in the project maybe she makes a song about like rising above like an inspirational power battle. that makes sense so he's listening to music but oh no his belt shifts and his iPod gets stuck and he has to climb a huge cliff for several hours listening to Prairie Home Companion (laughs) no this winter you may survive Garrison's Keylord Descent
2: I think it would be an Ascent, right? If you're climbing up, hopefully, hopefully. Do you listen to music when you're up there
4: ever? Uh, like yeah, things? sometimes, but not often. Prairie Home Companion. Not a lot of Prairie Home Companion. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. But um, here's the tag yeah.
1: If the fall doesn't get you, the powder milk biscuits will.
2: <laughs> I think that tag might be a, some kind of a trademark violation okay, or something. Okay, good point. Okay.
1: I've got one more. Okay. Alex, I think you're going to like this one. Okay, so it's December in Portland. Time for the annual tradition of lighting up an enormous tree in Pioneer Courthouse Square. And Alex is there with his parents. I was thinking we get Penny Marshall and Craig T. Nelson. Coach? If they're available. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Is Dobler going to be there?
1: Okay. The whole city is there. Police officers, teachers, families, orphans. I was thinking we get like Jonathan Lipnicki for an orphan.
2: That guy is older than me right okay. now.
1: Well, okay, so we're at the tree lighting, but some idiots have rigged the lights wrong, so the tree won't light up. And an orphan pulls on Alex's coat and is like, eh, eh, "Please, Mister, we really want to see the lights so our parents can find us."
2: Has that ever happened to you, Alex?
4: Yeah, that one happened last yeah. winter Yeah,
2: I don't. I am a little confused as to why the orphan is British. Relax. So we're in Portland.
4: It's holiday
1: magic. So, the tree malfunctions, and Alex is like, I can't save the holidays! And he climbs up the tree, and almost at the top of the tree, there's like branches in his face, and he almost falls. But then, Beyonce is there! And she's like an angel, and she cradles him in her, in her long, lustrous hair, and flies him to the star on the top, saying, you're going to be alright, Alex! So
2: she also sounds like a British orphan?
1: Because, yeah. Yeah. Beyonce is all of us. And we are Beyonce, Luke. Anyway.
2: I can't argue with that.
1: So everything lights up. And Beyonce sings an inspirational ballad about the holidays and orphans and sneezing on the beat so it gets sicker.
2: I know about that. That's how my voice got this way. Sick beats.
1: And that one is called Beyonce Saves Christmas.
2: Why are you trying to like shoehorn Beyonce into this movie idea with Alex
1: Luke, this isn't about me wanting to meet Beyonce or go glamping with Beyonce which I totally would do BT dubs this is about Alex and which idea he likes the best with Beyonce in it Alex?
4: (laughs) I'm I'm indifferent as long as I get to hang with Beyonce I guess
2: as long as there's Beyonce in some glamping
4: I I like the tree I like the orphans yeah
2: Wow, those are some interesting um, ideas, Bree. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but thank you for sharing with us. That's Bree Pruitt, and this right here is Alex Honnold. The book is Alone on the Wall. Thanks for coming on Livewire, man. All right, this week's show is brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing, now featuring their Accumulation White IPA with a snowy head and a nicely bitter bite. It's a lot like winter, except that accumulation is a beer, and winter is a season of the year that's caused by one hemisphere of the earth being oriented away from the sun. So um, they're not alike at all, actually. Um, I don't know who's writing these things. Uh, More information about the beer can be found at newbelgium.com. More information about winter can be found on the internet. Our musical guest this episode is an unbelievably peppy, punky, and it turns out palindromatic pop quartet out of Seattle Their band bio reads like a dating profile. Their collective likes include candy, Hondas, feminist sci-fi, weed, and each other. Please welcome Taco Cat to Livewire. Taco Cat, right here on Livewire. Nice job. That was Taco Cat. You're listening to Livewire. Hey, if you're planning to be in the Portland area, do not miss our next show. It's on December 5th. We're going to be back at Revolution Hall, and it will be our 300th episode. We're going to have amazing columnist and author Megan Dom here, filmmaker Irene Taylor Brodsky, music from David Wax Museum, which I just found out is a band and not a thing on the National Historic Registry. (laughs) So that's exciting. If you want to find out more about coming to the show, go to livewireradio.org. If you're an artist and you're lucky, you might get to experience cult success or maybe even mass appeal. Usually, though, you don't get to experience both. But David Wayne has. He's the co-creator of cult projects like Stella, Wet Hot American Summer, and Children's Hospital. But he's also directed big hit films like Role Models and Wanderlust, which starred an unknown named Jennifer Aniston, among others. He recently co-wrote and directed the Wet Hot American Summer prequel series for Netflix. Please welcome cult and non-cult phenomenon David Wayne, the Livewire. Yes Hi David Hello, it's so good to be here How's Portland treating you? Portland, what a place <laughs> You say that in every place it's
5: Beautiful, oh, but Portland, oh What a place <laughs> the, the, the downtown area, the outlying areas, forget yeah. it The roads I mean, the, 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 what, what, I've never seen a place that's got coffee shops, it's got stores yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're really getting into the local culture I mean, what about this whole thing also with Governor Kate Brown, you know, firing one of her first appointees, this guy Shipley, over the transportation uh, thing that he might have really bumbled? Let me guess. They left an Oregonian outside your room at the Hampton Inn. (laughs) I just like to keep up with what's going on here in PDX. (laughs) Also printed on my ticket
2: to fly here. (laughs) Um, okay, you grew up in Shaker Heights, Ohio, correct? I did. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's also a
5: place. Um, and then you... Hey, hey, watch what you say about Shaker Heights. Yeah.
2: <laughs> very specific. That was over the line, and I apologize. This tea I is mostly whiskey be- at this point. I hope you feel better soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so then you uh, you went to NYU, where you met a lot of the people that you still collaborate to this day Yes. With crazily i met most of the people i still work with every day in my freshman and sophomore year at NYU. raising the question are they actually funny or just the funniest people that were in your dorm at nyu
5: <laughs> all i know is when
2: i was there at nyu i saw these
5: people and i was like wow these guys are talented let me just hook into this and then i can ride it for the rest of my life and <laughs> i'm about halfway through and okay
2: so far so good yeah um, Wet Hot American Summer, the original film, was described. Some of these people have heard of it. Uh, that you and Michael Showalter created the, or wrote that, right? That's
5: right. Me and Michael Showalter. Michael Showalter and me and I. People keep
2: correcting me when I say things wrong. If you take the other person out of it, as I so often do as a narcissist, <laughs> and if what you're saying still makes sense, Okay. Then you're using it correctly. Well... So it would be I in this case. Okay, then I did it myself. Yeah. Uh, can we get an IMDB cleanup on aisle five? We need to get Showalter off of that credit. Only because he said so. Um, who had the idea for making wet hot... Well, for making a movie about a summer camp Was that something that you were into That that Michael had experienced? It was really actually something We both had had
5: real experiences at summer camp That we remembered and talked about over the years But we were writing what we thought was more of a Quote, real screenplay at the time Which was a high school romantic comedy And it seemed like it was going to be too hard to to make it right, so we're like, let's just do this quickie, fun, who cares kind of thing, where we get a bunch of our friends and we'll go out to the park if we have to, and we'll just do something about summer camp, where you don't have to have any lighting because it's outside, and you know we can, we don't have to write a script, we can just screw around, and uh, that's how I actually started it. We're like, it's a camp, camp, so obvious. We make it about camp, and then uh, little by little, of that, it, it, because it took us three years to get the money, we ended up. Writing it into a real screenplay.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, it had a theatrical release and was it wasn't just a little sort of small project. It ended up being something that made quite an impression on a lot of people.
5: Yes. Well, the the movie itself was made for a small amount, but we had a real independent film budget, and then uh, it was a real shoot, uh, and it was exciting for me because it was the first shoot I had ever been involved in um, with, like, a real crew, and I, I remember asking the assistant director, like,
2: do I say action or what? how does it work, you know? Um, was that totally stressing you out leading up to the first day where well, you knew you were going to be sitting behind a camera and there was going to be a moment where you were called upon to yeah, do a directory thing and a little you did know really the rules? Well, I, just, I had this
5: great assistant director who was very uh, helpful and he, he said, okay, no, you know, I'm going to say roll sound. And, then you, and I was like, okay, wait, wait, who says what? When? <laughs> but uh, it all worked out.
2: <laughs> and I've done it a lot since then. But um, what was the question again? It was... <laughs> What I guess what your expectations were for Wet Hot because it's a cult hit, but a cult hit oh, right. also means well, it was not like did not have a mass appeal when it came out. No, the in fact, who- it
5: was savaged by the critics it was, the, and by the audiences. <laughs> well, the, it was ignored by the audiences and savaged by the critics. The, many of most of the critics were not just negative but hostile. It was there were actual quotes were along the lines of I, I would rather spike nails into my forehead than watch this movie." And people took time and effort to, to find new words for how awful this was <laughs> and how unfunny it was and how painful it was to watch. And then it didn't get much of a release. It was only several years later that after DVD and, and passing it around and... Word of mouth that it started to grow and grow and grow, and it's still growing, which is crazy.
2: Well, what do you think changed? By the way, we're talking to David Wayne. He's the um, guy behind What Hot American Summer. One of the guys, also role models for the audience that has ADD. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's getting into a Volvo right now. I see. <laughs> and they don't know what we're talking about, <laughs> so we just remind them. He also made the state Wanderlust. Keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> Don't check your texts. Just listen to the show. Not worth it. Not worth it. I I saw that you were on uh, Drunk History. Yes, and that show is. I, I try to recreate that often on this program as a radio product. But um, you were you were talking about Dorothy Foldheim. Yeah. Who I was unaware of until I watched you on Drunk History, which is a weird way to get this information.
5: Well, she was an amazing lady, but if you didn't grow up in Cleveland, it's unlikely that you would have heard of her. But now everyone has, or whoever watches Drunk History, and I'm really excited about that. What's great about that show is it's funny and weird and drunk, but it tells really interesting stories about history
2: that are on their own really cool Um, how much and what did you drink before you gave your and we should explain to people that don't know drunk history is where they get people together they get them inebriated and then have them relate some kind of historical event or a story of a person and then it's reenacted and the actors are exactly mouthing the words that were spoken by the drunk person right and it has it is the the odd unexpected verisimilitude of this is just incredible and they do it,
5: it's, the way they make the show is exactly what it looks like. They let you get very, very drunk, and then you start telling the story. And it's very strange. And I'm actually not even a super heavy drinker at all, and so for me, I was sick for two days afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, you know, you know for, the, for the work,
2: <laughs>
5: for the art, for the art of
2: it. What it did was, you actually drink? It was
5: a, the night before I happened to be at a bar and I had this cocktail that was like a whiskey with a ginger and a lemon kind of thing. I just had an ongoing refillable one of those all night uh, doing the drunk history. And uh, by the time it was over, I just sort of stumbled into my bed and um, yeah, it was tough.
2: It was did, you remember, <laughs> did you remember what you had said about Dorothy Fuldheim? No, no, not at all.
5: But i but they, Luckily, they videotaped it, so now I, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Now I can see. Um, would you like to describe or tell a little bit about Dorothy Fulltime? Dorothy Fuldheim was a, a. And I'm not drunk right now, so it's not going to be a, maybe as lilty. you know what we'll take factual over lilty she was a journalist uh from cleveland ohio uh who was one of the first women to actually be sort of proactive investigative opinionated journalist Uh, and she was on tv and she anchored the news and she uh, actually interviewed adolf hitler and she traveled the world and she was just a, a trailblazer in a million ways and she and she, the end of her career was more when I was aware of her uh, I think she died in the 80s or something I was uh, a few months ago when, when I did the research but um, I remember watching her as a kid and she was just a really inspiring cool lady and, and it was uh, fun to, I, I've done two Drunk Histories now and they've both been about my hometown of Cleveland which has really been awesome to do
2: who uh, was the other one about?
5: It was about Alan Freed, the ah, DJ who coined sure. the term rock and roll, uh, who was actually on the air opposite my father, who was a DJ in Cleveland, also in the 50s. Well, Did your father have a, a, a DJ name? Uh, Big Chief. <laughs> Big Chief Norman Wayne, and he even wore an Indian headdress. <laughs> this was the 50s. <laughs> in addition to being on the radio, he would go and do Mambo Nights at... You know, at a nightclub or something And DJ with, I don't know
2: <laughs> did, did it always vex him That Alan Freed came up with rock and roll Wasn't he always like You yeah. know, jump and slide Was he trying to do his version Yeah,
5: like, he, he tried jump and slide And we really pushed it for years yeah. And it just never quite
2: By the way, David will be selling jump and slide t-shirts yeah. In the back We're the still theater. working on that one, taking yeah. over Just like Beta Sure <laughs> Just, you know what? Technology is cyclical. Yeah. I believe... HD DVD is going to come back and take over Blu-ray. At some point. Let's talk about the prequel to Wet Hot American Summer. Yes. Which is out on Netflix and is amazing. And features a number of characters. Well, really, almost all of them. Who are presumably younger than they were in the movie. But now seem to have hit a real kink in the space-time continuum where they are <laughs> yeah. heavier and older than their younger or their whatever selves from the well, movie. If you yeah, yeah the, uh, the cast of the movie was
5: mostly people around age 30 playing around age 16, 17, and now the cast is around 45 playing around 16, 17. Um, <laughs> But we address it in the prequel, if you've seen it, at the very end, the, the, we explain that now that Janine Garofalo's character, Beth, is taking over as the director of the summer camp, she's going to g- add a new vigor and youthfulness to the proceedings, and people will feel 15 years younger
2: by the end oh, of the okay. summer. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> oh, now it all makes sense. I feel like an idiot for asking that question. Yeah, why did you I'm appear, sorry. <clears throat> I've embarrassed strange myself. strange that you would ask something like that. Let's take a break for me to get my dignity back together. Uh, we need to take a quick break. We have David Wayne here. Uh, we'll be back with more live wire in just a moment. Hey, do you live in Portland or are you traveling our way and you want to find some totally unboring ways to spend your weekend? Maybe you want to read an incisive review of a fire-juggling, Elvis-impersonating trapeze artist slash acupuncturist. It's all in Portland Monthly's On the Town newsletter. To get the best of Portland's arts and culture delivered to your inbox for free, go to pdxmonthly.com slash newsletters. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this podcast version of Livewire. You know, we would not exist without you, the listener, because what would be the point of doing this show if you guys weren't out there taking notice of it? Look, if you feel like Livewire has brought something great into your life, like maybe a band you love or an insight from one of our comics or our guests, please consider becoming part of our League of Extraordinary Listeners. Membership starts at just 35 bucks a year, and it comes with some great perks like members-only content and members-only jackets. Not the second one, but the first one, which is pretty cool. Visit LiveWireRadio.org to join today. And thank you so much. I I thought the break would be more of a dance break. I've noticed that you have a way when you show up on shows of really trying to impose your musical will on things. I saw you on The Tonight Show, <laughs>
5: oh, yeah, well, where yeah. you were
2: really intent. You and Michael Showalter were there. You were very intent on turning it into a lip-sync battle. Right. And you had just like a series of really crappy boom stary- boxes. boxes. <laughs> you apparently bought it like a Rite Aid.
5: Yeah. Well, I... I is that's that your my move? Thing. I like to impose my musical will when I go places. Yeah. And so when I go out to, say, a, a dance club, which is most, most nights, uh... <laughs> I always, I bring a glass and a fork so I can say, I clink it and say,
2: stop, stop, stop. Yeah. How about some yeah. rockabilly? Oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> you didn't realize you're dealing with Big Chief's son. <laughs> so, let's a little respect, please. Yeah. I should mention, by the way, this is Live Wire Radio, coming to you from PRI in Portland, Oregon. My name is Luke Burbank. We have David Wayne here from uh, a, a number of different things, including Children's Hospital, the state... Wet Hot American Summer, Role Models. I really love the movie Role Models. Thank you. Um, I'm, I, I actually, I really am an appreciator of all of your work. But I, I really love the movie Role Models, and I, I really love the movie Wanderlust. And I was wondering, when you're making something like Wanderlust, and it's got Jennifer Aniston in it, is it, and you're directing it, is that a different experience, or is that in any way stressful, as compared to, like, Wet Hot, where it's your friend's... You guys are all kind of on the same page in terms of the stuff you find funny.
5: Well, any mo- any studio level movie like Wanderlust is a different thing in some ways because there's a lot more money involved, and there's more people, and there's more executives, and there's producers, and there's just a lot more of the marketing departments involved from day one as opposed to a movie like Wet Hot American Summer, which didn't even have a distributor at all. So there's a lot more stakes in that way but truthfully when you're actually on set making the movie it's very similar it's kind of the same thing you're still just hey what's the funny way to do the scene and where you know let's have fun and try to find the truth of it or the and the comedy of it and so it, it really isn't so different and and even working with a big star who I hadn't known before Jennifer Aniston she came and was joined the party in a really cool way and that was you know we had a lot of our crew that had been in, you know, Joe Luchulio and Paul Rudd and Ken Marino with a lot of people that had uh, done things in the past. So she, she was like the guest that came to the party and, and jumped right in. And it was really cool.
2: Um, you have directed a lot of really funny things. Do you feel like you have, uh, a secret to, or a, an approach to like how much room you let the improvisers have, how much kind of going off script is the right amount. And then at what point it it's not as funny. Like, what's your what's your kind of approach to that? After about six minutes, it's not as funny. No, I'm just kidding. That's bad because this show's like an hour.
5: <laughs> I mean, when I'm doing directing, my fe- feeling is, especially as I get older, I I try to be so prepared, both with what the script is and the plan for the day, so that if I show up to set utterly brain dead, it's still going to be okay, and then. I make sure that whatever the plan was that we had we try to execute or unless it's clearly a better idea and then improvising for me is more the salt and pepper around the edges or if you want to try something here or let, let it go but I am worried sometimes about getting too enamored with the spontaneity of something that you come up with on set and getting seduced by the freshness of it even though maybe that joke that was written six months ago and we've heard in a bunch of table reads and read over and over again and we're tired of, but nobody else has heard is still the better joke because we've worked on it. So that's what I think.
2: So you, are, <laughs> you you get the way that you guys have written it or planned it, you get that down and then once you feel satisfied with that, then it's kind of like improv for the next... It depends up on... Up to six minutes. It depends on the
5: scene and the project and the actors and the nature of it because it de- on things like Wet Hot, the the Wet Hot series and the movie we were moving so fast or it's like children's hospital that it feels loose and fun but we really almost never improvised because there's just no time and you got to just get it get the script and move on uh, wanderlust we had more time and was just structured differently so we were able to do what you said yeah get the script and then just riff for a while and try different things and they each have their their pros and cons
2: well, another actor who you've collaborated with a lot is Paul Rudd. And you claim to know Paul Rudd pretty well.
5: Yes. That's yeah. why I want
2: to ask you about that knowledge with a little quiz we're calling Rudd or Fudd? <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what the words are to that? Is this about Rudd or Fudd? <laughs> Alright, here we go. Uh, is this about Paul Rudd or is this about noted, anti-rabbitist Elmer Fudd? He made his film debut in the 1995 film *Clueless*. Rudd. That is exactly right. Paul Rudd made his debut in. So the far, film. they've been kind of easy. We're warming you up. Question number two. He starred in the films *Wabbit Twubble, *The Wabbit Who Came to Supper*, and *Hairbrained Hypnotist*. Okay.
5: So I don't, I don't absolutely know the answer, but I'm going to take like a, a guess based on context. You do have a lifeline, by the way. I'm going to say Fudd. That's exactly right, David Wayne. That is Elmer Fudd. Because I didn't see a Wabbit Twouble, at least maybe I saw it on, on, on TV.
2: Very anti-Semitic, it turns out. Looking back on it now, mm-hmm. sadly, it was a different time. Big Chief was top of the pops in Cleveland. And Wabbit Twubble didn't seem like uh, something we would regret later. And also just, you know,
5: no sensitivity to those with a speech impediment.
2: Yeah. (laughs) That's actually real talk right there. All right, question number three. They're going to get harder. He, in his autobiography, admitted to living inside a self-made mud shack in Decatur, Iowa, for four years, during which time he spoke only to a crude drawing of former Utah jazz power forward Carl Malone. (laughs) Rudd or Fudd? Wow, that is harder. <laughs> uh,
5: uh, uh, Fudd. Oh, that was Rudd. Paul Rudd. Oh.
2: You may not know him the way that you claim to, David Wayne. I missed those four years. <laughs> those were a dark four years for Paul. Yeah. All right, question number four. His legendary feud with Jack Nicholson culminated in a knockdown dragout fight. At the 2002 Academy Awards Leading one to say of the other If I ever see him on the street I'll cut his eyes out um, That's going to be Rudd, that's my friend Rudd I mean he's had his own problems With Jack Nicholson but that yeah. is actually Elmer Fudd I'm sorry David Because uh, they were in that movie together Yeah, Rudd Fudd Ooh. Here's another question for you, David Wayne. How much wood could a woodchuck chuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Uh, Generally around 14.
5: 14 to 15 bits. Uh, The answer is Paul Rudd. Well, it depends. Okay. depends which version
2: of Wikipedia you trust. (laughs) Mine's
5: the Japanese.
2: Yeah. I personally maintain the Paul Rudd Wikipedia page, so I know a thing or two. All right. Um, he was quoted in Movie Line Magazine as saying, "Everything I have in life I owe to my belief in the Ruler of the Night, the Destroyer himself, Satan." That was actually Mel Blanc doing yes. Paul Rudd. And you're exactly yeah. right. You're 100% right,
5: David Wayne. I remember that because I was in the room when we when we laid down that
2: session. Yeah, a lot of good cats sitting in then. <laughs> All right, uh, last question for you, David Wayne. Who would you rather marry, snuggle, or kill? It's public radio, guys. we got to change the middle part. Marry, snuggle, kill, Paul Rudd, Elmer Fudd, or Ashley Judd? Well, obviously, I would
5: snuggle Ashley Judd. Okay. I would uh, marry Paul Rudd because, you know, nice guy to hang out with. And you not know, that I've heard. He's well. But what about those bedroom eyes? <laughs> and then, um, you know, I would have to kill uh, Elmer Fudd because if not, he would probably pop me one right in the in the temple. <laughs> he's got that gun with the two yeah. double barrel. David Wayne, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs>
2: That was David Wayne. Wet hot American Summer, first day of camp is available on Netflix right now. This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines with thirty eight nonstops from Portland and this winter adding Austin, Texas. Where LiveWire airs on K U T F M. Hey Austin, come see a live wire show sometime. Maybe it could be the beginning of our country's first ironic mustache exchange program. Alaska Airlines, keeping you connected non-stop. More information at alaskaairlines.com. Please welcome back to the stage, Taco Cat. That's Taco Cat. And that's our show. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I often don't know if we're going to get through the show, but I got to tell you, this was one. The jury was out for me, but we did it uh, with the help of Alex Honnold, uh, amazing climber. Also, David Wayne, hilarious and smart man that he is. And... The effervescence of the band Taco Cat. Thanks to all of them. Also, this show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by Provenance Hotels. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hommeister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is also a producer and editor of our show. Our house band is Dave Jorgensen, Jonathan Newsom, and Ned Failing. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team. Along with Alex Falcone, our guest writer this show was the hilarious Brie Pruitt. Molly Pettit is our technical director. Our house sound at the Aladdin was by Paul O'Brien. Our recordist is Mr. D. Neil Blake. Thanks so much to Jesse Dooley and Caitlin Kunkel of Burns Cycle Portland and to all the great people here at the Aladdin Theater. Thanks to our marketing director, Laura Haddon our development director, Kim Bergstrom, and our operations manager, Lauren Masterson. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, and listeners like you, fine people. For more information about our show or how to become a member of LiveWire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And find us on Twitter and Facebook or as some people call it Facebook at LiveWire radio. I'm Luke Burbank. We'll see you next week. P R I public radio international. Dear LiveWire, When we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea. We'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with, with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait. Actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review. Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of LiveWire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much. If you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.